invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 6. You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 6, beginning with the 22nd verse. John chapter 6, verse 22. This morning we're jumping into a new sermon series where we'll be for the next seven weeks in the Gospel of John, specifically looking at seven different I am statements that Jesus makes. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that had remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you take your word and equip us, take your word and comfort us, take your word and challenge us, take your word and give us the gift of faith. We pray this morning, O Lord, that you would be at work in each of our lives and each family that's represented here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship and to study your word together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be present with us during the week as well in our homes our workplaces, and our schools, praying that you'd give us wisdom and discernment in all decisions that we make. We also pray, Lord, for the country that we live in and the city and state that we live in, praying for your blessing for all of our leaders, asking that you would grant them humility, honesty, and compassion. Lord, we also lift up and pray for your church this morning, King of Glory, pray for your church in the city of Sioux Falls and also around the world, asking that you would build your kingdom through the proclamation of your word, Pray this morning that you'd be with missionaries who are proclaiming your word in difficult places. Pray that you'd empower them, care for them, give them courage and boldness in the midst of difficulty. We also pray for those who are in our midst who are struggling this morning. We think of those who are struggling with addiction. God, we pray that you would break in and bring freedom. We pray, O Lord, that they would experience the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd give them a distaste 
for whatever they are addicted to. And we pray, O Lord, that You'd bring healing to each of our lives in each of our minds. We pray, O Lord, that You would free us from sin, that we'd experience Your transformational power. We also pray this morning for those who are in our midst who are struggling with their flesh, those who are experiencing illness or difficulty. God, we ask that You would put upon them a healing touch, a word of encouragement. We pray for those who are providing care, that You would energize them and strengthen them for service to, to us and one another. God, we thank You for Your kindness today. We thank You for this opportunity to worship. We ask now that You take Your Word and do Your work among us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's the words that you never want to hear. You should have called us first. I kind of like a good do-it-yourself project, probably like most of you. It's cheap thing, and it gives you a little sense of accomplishment when you finish it. Ever since we moved into our home a couple, about a year or so ago, we've always had trouble with our garage door. And my wife kind of insisted that we actually use our garage at the new house. You see, at the old house, we had a garage, but we never used the garage. But she thought it was a good idea that we actually used the garage this time. And so we got the garage all cleaned out, and every once in a while, the door opener wouldn't work the best, and the door's kind of in rough shape. It lasted throughout all of winter. Come to the end of winter, and it stops working thinking, well, at least winter's done, can let it be. No need to fix it. Well, then the question started coming again. Are we going to be able to park in the garage again? So I decided it's time to tackle the garage door thing. Well, my two best men that usually helped me in my do-it-yourself projects were off getting married and doing newlywed-type activities. So I was left to myself thing, basically left to myself and YouTube to try and finish this garage door. Well, I tried a couple of different things, hitting some spots, hitting some reset stuff, and then this chain piece from Ace Hardware I thought was the trick. Nothing seemed to work, so then I went on YouTube and watched a little video on wiring thing. And I tried my hand on a little wiring thing on the garage door opener thing. Worked maybe once, twice, but the problem was it was not consistent if it was going to go up or down when you're hitting the opening button. So I decided to call the local garage door company. First thing they say when they arrive, you probably should have called us first. <laughs> you see, now, now we're not only replacing the garage door now, but now we have to replace the garage door opener. I was hoping that through a good do-it-yourself project, I could get something quality and long-lasting. But we all know that a do-it-yourself project usually leads to what? Lacking in quality and a short lifespan. I don't know anyone that goes out shopping and says, bring me the thing that's the worst quality product and also the shortest lifespan. All of us are interested in quality and longevity. Not only in things that we own, but we're also interested in that in our lives. We want a quality life. And we want a life with longevity. All of us this morning are in the pursuit of quality and longevity. The problem is, the do-it-yourself approach usually ends in less quality and a shorter lifespan. But this morning, we encounter Jesus in His interaction with the disciples where He makes a proclamation that completely changes our perspective of how we go about seeking quality and longevity. This morning we interact with Jesus as he makes his first I am statement where he says, I am 
the bread of life. And it's an interesting statement that Jesus makes this morning because we look at it and say, well, okay, bread is something basic, must be Jesus, Jesus brings us something. But Jesus is pointing to something extremely deep when he makes this statement. And he's also making an extremely provocative claim upon who he is and what he does. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's basically saying he is the gift from heaven that gives, sustains, and satisfies life. Jesus is making a radical declaration this morning. A declaration that can change the quality of our lives and the longevity of our lives. Because he is saying that he is the gift from heaven that gives, sustains, and satisfies life. Let's read that together. He is the gift from heaven that gives, sustains, and satisfies life. It's all come, it all comes down to, to really one statement in, in there, one thing that Jesus is basically claiming, and that is that he is from heaven. Notice that Jesus rarely, if ever, when talking to people, points back to his roots in Bethlehem or to Mary and Joseph. Doesn't ever point back to those roots. It's because those aren't his roots. It's because his origin is not found here on earth, but his origin is actually found in heaven. Jesus is making a radical claim that he is from heaven. And this goes beyond just this idea that Jesus just showed up. But really, he's claiming that he's existed for eternity. There's a point in the Gospel of John where John the Baptist says, here comes one who ranks before me. Well, John the Baptist, that doesn't make a lot of sense unless Jesus existed before John the Baptist. And that's only possible if Jesus has existed for eternity in heaven. Jesus is making a radical claim this morning that he has existed for eternity and he comes to us from heaven. In other words, basically, what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I am God. Jesus is making a radical claim and that claim is a claim of deity. And this is what ultimately gets Jesus in trouble. People want to stone Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you'll find times where the religious leaders are upset with Jesus. Well, why are they upset with someone who's bringing healing? They're upset because Jesus is making a radical claim when he makes statements like, your sins are forgiven. He's making a claim that he is God. And so basically what we have is we have Jesus claiming to be God. We basically have Jesus saying, God comes to us. This is the centerpiece of Christianity. This is the center that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. And we're going to linger here for just a moment. Because we are constantly seeking to attain things in our lives. We're, we're trying to reach the next level, and that's not abnormal for the human spirit. There's a story in the Old Testament that some of you might be familiar with called the Tower of Babel thing. Uh, the people try and build this tower. What are they doing? They're trying to get to God thing. And God basically does what? <laughs> tower, so long, people are going to scatter you. Because God knows that no one can climb their way to him. 
That, that story about the Tower of Babel is not just some story about a building. It's a story about the religious spirit that exists in all of humanity. That constantly we're trying to attain something. Christianity is completely different in that we do not ascend somewhere, but rather the message is that God has come to us. And this is central right now with the, what's going on in the world around us. One of the top three questions that I get asked all the time is, Pastor, what are we going to do with what's going on in the world today? People are blowing themselves up. There's, there's war. There's strife. It seems like it's horrible. And it's really bad thing right now. But we need to understand the foundation of why it's really bad right now. And this should help give us perspective. This should also help us treat our leaders a little fairer. The foundation of what's going on in the Middle East right now, the foundation of what's going on with radical Islam, is not political. It's not something George Bush did. It's not something Barack Obama has done. It's a spirit of religion where people believe they are actually attaining something by what they are doing. They are blowing themselves up and others because they believe that way they attain something in heaven or they attain something with God. Their view of God and their religious understanding is that you have to climb to God, that you have to do something to get to God. So therefore, all of their actions are based in this religious theological understanding of what they are doing is to get to God. So therefore, and I'm not going to be terribly political this morning, but this has implications for us as Christians because God gives us commands of how we treat our leaders. I'm not going to say what President Obama is doing is right or wrong. But when you understand the foundation for what's going on in the Middle East, it gives you a whole new set of patience with our president. It also gives you perspective that no matter what our president does, he cannot solve the problem. The problem is not political. The problem is not with the military. The problem is religion. No matter what they do, this is going to continue on because of their view of how you achieve the status of heaven, how you reach God. I'm not saying what we should do or what we shouldn't do. All I'm saying is we need to have a proper perspective for why what is happening is happening. And it's all about this religious spirit that says we need to attain the status of God. Christianity is completely different and unique where God says, don't come to me, I'm coming to you. And when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he's making a radical claim that says he comes from heaven. Look with me, if you would, at verses 32 through 34 in John chapter 6. 32 through 34, Jesus is responding to the crowd and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is talking to this crowd who's very familiar with an Old, story, Old Testament story that we read this morning where the Israelites received bread from God. However, the Israelites thought they were getting the bread from Moses. So appearances are really deceiving. The Israelites believed that Moses had this power and authority and he was bringing them the bread. And so it's proving something great about Moses. Jesus corrects them here and says, no, no, Moses didn't give you that bread. That bread 
came from God Himself. And now, this bread that gives life also comes from heaven. So now look down at verse 38, where He makes it crystal clear. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So Jesus is saying, yes, this bread that you received was not from Moses, but from from God. And now this bread that gives new life, everlasting life, is from heaven itself. It's from God Himself. Because Jesus is saying He is from heaven. When Jesus says He is the bread of life, it's all about His origin. That His origin is not in humanity. His origin is in the triune God. That God Himself is coming down to us. This morning, some of you need to stop trying so hard. Because your trying is not going to get you anywhere. Because you cannot attain a certain status with God. You cannot reach your way to God. But the message of Christianity is that God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God has made Himself known and made Himself available to us in that person. We cannot lose sight that Jesus, yes, was was with one of us, dwelt among us, understood what it meant to be a human completely, but He came from heaven. He brought God to us. And this is our ultimate hope. And now, because God came from heaven, there's great news. And that great news is that because He came from heaven, you and I have life. And you're saying to yourself, well, I have life anyhow. I mean, even if I didn't know Jesus this morning, I'd still have life. But what Jesus is saying here is is Jesus is making a radical claim. He's basically saying, you can live without really living. So if you read the Gospel of John, there's multiple times where Jesus will say something like, I came that you may have life. Well, the hearers, they're going to live no matter, they're living no matter what. So Jesus is basically saying there's a big difference between existing and living. What Jesus is doing here is he's basically moving us beyond existence into truly living. I'm sure you've said the statement or you've heard the statement from someone that said, you haven't really lived until you've eaten at the Pizza Inn. <laughs> I mean, it's a truth that we all know. Thing, You've heard that statement, and when you make a statement like that, what you're saying is that, well, you, you haven't really experienced life as it ought to be until you've done X or Y. A couple of years, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I had a great opportunity to go on a vacation in California from a friend who let us stay at their house. And this house is beautiful. Pool in the backyard, a putting green in the backyard. I was just on cloud nine thing. So during the week, I'm just floating on a flotation device on the pool, drinking out of a pineapple thing and taking a picture of myself and then sending it to the owner saying, this is the life. Well, was I living before that? No, I'm just making a qualitative statement. Jesus, because he came from heaven, now can actually bring us life. He can bring us the quality and the longevity that we desire. This morning, everybody here wants quality of life. The question is, where are we looking for that quality? Are we looking to the one who brings it to us? Or are we looking to find that quality in the things of this world? But Jesus is not just bringing quality. Let's take a moment here. Look with me if you would at verse 36 and verse 37. Verse 36, 35, I'm sorry. 
whoa, i got to get... I've got to wear my reading glasses when preaching. This is not going to be good. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Really? Jesus, aren't you just stretching the truth here a little bit to get people's attention? Or does Jesus actually mean what He says? That when we come to Him, we can actually experience satisfaction. He made the exact same statement to the woman at the well. A woman is drawing water out of the well and Jesus says, I, I can give you water that will last where you will not thirst again. What does she say? Well, give it to me. I mean, you'd say the same thing, right? This crowd says the same thing. Well, Jesus, give us this bread. Jesus is giving Himself and Himself brings satisfaction to our life today but He also takes it beyond the satisfaction that we have today. Because now, He extends our life. He gives us longevity that no one else can give and no one else even claims to give. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 39 and 40. Verse 39 and 40, He says, And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given Me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him on the last day. So as the bread of life, He's coming and giving us life here, sustaining life, satisfying life, but He's also promising that there's more to come. In other words, Jesus is saying, your life has a whole new longevity to it. Why? It goes back to where Jesus comes from. Heaven. He's coming from heaven so He can give us this eternal life because He's experienced it. Jesus is giving us life eternal. And it's not just some idea, but it's actually a claim that He backs up. So, the distinguishing differences of Christianity, God comes to us. The other distinguishing difference of Christianity is this. Our understanding of the afterlife is not based upon some idea or philosophy given by some teacher at some point in history. Our idea of the afterlife is based upon the claim of one person, Jesus Himself, and the backing up of that claim when He rises from the dead. We're not believing in some promise. We're like, well, I hope somebody's got the power to make this happen. We're cashing in on a promise of someone who has made the claim and then has lived up to the claim himself because he himself has risen from the grave. And now he says here, he's going to raise us as well. The bread of life gives, sustains, and satisfies life. Not just life here, but life eternal. This morning, you may be really concerned about quality of life here and now, but you should also be concerned about quality of life for the years to come. And it's hard to say in the moment, right? I mean, older people, and I'm not saying what age, but older people say this all the time. Man, it just feels like yesterday thing. Like Time goes really fast. And us younger people are like, oh, when are they no longer going to be crying in diapers? Let's go! Thing. Right? But there's a lot of truth to the statement. Time goes by really fast. 50 years, 80 years, 90 years, just like that. And sometimes we don't take the long view. 
How's your long view looking this morning for quality of life? Not today, but 90 years from today. There can be a guarantee of that quality. That quality can't come though through a do-it-yourself project. That quality can only come through a God coming to us and giving us the bread of life. Giving us Himself. Jesus is making a radical claim this morning. He is saying, I am the bread of life. In other words, He's saying He is the gift from heaven that gives, sustains, and satisfies life. That is the great I am. Well, that is the great I am. How about the small I am's this morning? How about you and I today? So we've, we've looked at the great I am. Now, what about my life today? Each week during the sermon series, we're going to take a moment to ask the question, what about my life today? How does my life look different today because of who Jesus is? In other words, if my behavior and, and the way in which I live is going to reflect the identity of Jesus, what should happen in my life today? Something should happen in our lives today if Jesus is truly who He says He is. And the very first thing that should happen for us today is very simple. We should be walking by faith. How do we receive this gift, the bread of life? The people ask Jesus that question. Well, Jesus, how do we get in on this eternal gig? They, they want in on it. Look with me, if you would, back in John chapter 6, verse 28. Verse 28, they say to him, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. In other words, the people are saying, hey, what can we do to get this eternal life? And Jesus is saying, well, there's a little different view of work. You can't do anything. You have to trust in me. So actually, we're called to walk by faith. If Jesus is who he says he is, we should be living a life of faith. Now, this is not just a momentary trust. And this is where we've gotten ourselves in deep trouble. We're so obsessed with numbers in the church. How many people do we have? How many people came to Christ? So this is what we've done. Put your name on a comment card. Say, yes, I trust in Jesus today, and we're good to go. Jesus does not call us to momentary trust. He calls us to a life of faith where we are believing in Him. It's not like one day we're like, oh, I believe in Jesus today. Yeah, that sounds good. And now I can go back to living the way I understand life should be. We're actually called to a life of faith where it talks about in Hebrews chapter 11 when it describes all of the greats from the Old Testament. It's basically telling us, and it says at the beginning of the chapter, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You may trust Jesus for heaven, but do you trust Jesus for lunch? We're called to walk by faith. To live a life of continually believing in Jesus. Not walking by worldly wisdom, not walking by our own understanding, but walking by trust in Christ. If Jesus is who He says He is, we want the gift, right? There's only one way to get the gift. Believe in the giver. Believe in Jesus Himself. So not only are we called to walk by faith, but the next thing that we should do, we should actually loosen our grip on the things of this world. Look back with me, if you would, again, in John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me because you saw signs, 
but because, not, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you're coming to me because of some temporary momentary thing that you got from me. But you should be focused on the eternal things. The reality of the situation is this. For you and I today, there's a lot of momentary things that have a grip on us because we have a really tight grip on them. What are you willing to release today? Jesus got what you could call pretty radical. When he confronted people who had too tight of a grip on things, he said to them very simply, sell it. That's the test. This morning, if you want to examine your heart to see if you have too tight of a grip on something, this is the question. Are you willing to sell it? If you're not willing to sell it, it's got a grip on you. You don't have a grip on it. And it's not just, just things that we've got too tight of a grip on, but it's ways of living that we've got too tight of a grip on. The reality is we care way too much about stuff that deserves very little care. Athletics, at the end of the day, controls our society and our lives. There's nothing wrong with athletics. I'm going to watch football this afternoon. And God gave us creation. There's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with it is when it controls us. When we dictate our schedule, when we dictate our pocketbook by that very thing. And it's not just athletics. I know some of you are like, yeah, get after that ESPN and those athletes thing. It's also your garden thing. There's a lot of things that we've got way too tight of a grip on this morning. And we could actually begin to enjoy some of these things if we would just loosen the grip a little bit. People lose sleep over an athletic loss. People lose sleep over dents and cars. When's the last time we last sleep over the eternal well-being of another soul? We need to loosen the grip on the things of this world so that we can enjoy the things of this world. We were created to live here amongst physical creation. We just weren't meant to look to physical creation for salvation, for joy, and for hope. We were meant to have dominion over it, not let it have dominion over us. We need to loosen the grip. And if this morning, very practically speaking, and question is, are you going to be willing to even do this? Are you willing to ask someone that's close to you and give them permission to tell you something that you have too tight of a grip on? You willing to take that step? Do you really want to see how Jesus' identity affects my life today? Are you going to ask someone to speak into your life? Because you'll lie to yourself. I'm really good at it. You're really good at it. Take a step and loosen the grip so you can enjoy the grip. And finally, we need to cultivate contentment. Because Jesus is the bread of life, there's something available to us that very few of us enjoy. Contentment. We live in a society of more, more, more. Better, better, better. When in reality, Jesus Himself is the only one that can satisfy us. 
The very thing that's robbing us of contentment today is comparison. We are all in this comparison trap. We need to stop looking at our neighbors and start looking at God. Because when we look at our neighbors, what do we say? Well, they're driving a nice car. Why can't we? We look at our neighbors and we say, well, they get to go out to eat three times a week. Why can't we? We're comparing ourselves to others. It either puts us in one of two positions. It puts us in a position that says, well, we need to get more thing. I don't have what I deserve. Or it puts us in a position that says, well, at least I've got this much I can trust in my stuff. A lot of times we use this phrase. In order to become thankful about our stuff, we always say this, go and find someone that has nothing to become thankful for everything you have. That's actually really bad thinking. Because you come back and you are now what? Trusting in your stuff rather than trusting in God himself. There's a powerful passage that we read in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. The Apostle Paul says that, you know what? I've come, I've had plenty, I've had want, yet, he says, I've found the secret of facing contentment in the midst of it all. And that secret is not having just enough. That secret is not looking at others and saying, wow, we should really be thankful for what we have. That secret, he says, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We don't look at our neighbor, but rather we look upward to the bread of life to give us our contentment. It's not more, 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 but it's, wow, I've got the creator of the universe who's given himself to me. Is he not enough? If Jesus Christ is the bread of life, then our life today should be one where we walk by faith. One where we have a loose grip on the things around us. And one where we're cultivating contentment by no longer looking at our neighbors, but looking upward to the author and the giver of life. Today is the day to stop all do-it-yourself projects. Today is the day to look to the ultimate author who has done it for us, who has given us a whole new quality and a whole new level of longevity that we can't get anywhere else. Today, eat the bread of life. Come and believe in Jesus Christ and live. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks today for You. We give thanks that You have given Yourself to us. And we give thanks, O Lord, for the life that You've given to us. God, this morning I pray now for each of our hearts and each of our minds that You would grant each of us the ability to trust. Give us the gift of faith today. I also pray, O Lord, that today You would make us aware of things in our life that we have too tight of a grip on. God, I pray that You'd put someone in each person's path this next week that can speak truth. And Lord, we also pray this morning that You would cultivate contentment in our hearts. God, we ask that You would awaken us to Yourself in the gift of Yourself. Lord, we thank You for all that You've given to us. We praise You for who You are. In Jesus' name, Amen.